And tonight we'll be reading from Psalm 42 and 43. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls the deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care. Lead them to me. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my joy and delight. I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. Well, it's great to be with you again. Uh, we're going to be looking at that those two psalms, Psalm number 42 and 43. So if you had a Bible open there, uh, we've already sung God's praises. We've heard what God's word says, and now we're going to dive in and look a little more closely at it. So look, we'll, we'll do that, but I'm going to pray first. Our God and Father, we thank you that we can hear what your word says and that we can consider what it says and how it applies to us. We want to ask now that you would give us hearts and minds that are ready to uh, take on board what your word says and live our lives in light of it. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There's no doubt that depression is a growing issue in our society today. The rise of the number of groups uh, seeking to assist and support people with depression is a pretty clear sign of that. And we're getting a clearer picture of the mental health impact that COVID is beginning to have on people, not, young, not just older people, but people of all ages. Depression isn't 
just something that impacts you after a tragedy. Uh, for some people, and even very famous people, uh, depression has been something that they've had to live with their entire lives. Uh, Winston Churchill talked about his black dog describing his depression that way. Buzz Aldrin, the first man on the moon, uh, struggled with depression the whole of his life. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, uh, Sir Isaac Newton, uh, even modern, pe modern day people, Brad Pitt, David Letterman, Jim Carrey, Michael Slater, Olivia Newton-John, uh, have all been very public about their struggles with depression. And I think it's pretty safe to say that the writer of this psalm is probably someone who knows a thing or two about depression as well. Depression can be a debilitating thing. Some of the symptoms of depression are things like feelings of sorrow, guilt, hopelessness and helplessness, losing motivation and interest in the environment, lack of energy, feelings of fatigue, irritability, hostility, anxiety. And I think we see a number of those expressed in this psalm. Now, don't misunderstand me, but I think that's one of the wonderful things about the Psalms. The Psalms are an expression of people's relationship with God. There are Psalms of great thanksgiving. There are th Psalms of praise and joy. There are Psalms where the writer asks questions of God and Psalms where the writer expresses their anxiety and fear. And there are Psalms like these two Psalms, 42 and 43, that are really just the one song, where the writer expresses his immense sadness, his feelings of isolation. So Psalm 42 and 43 are, are just the one Psalm. Each of the three verses that we read end with these words. So chapter four of Psalm 42, verse five, verse 11, and then Psalm 43, verse five, they repeat these same words. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. The psalm is really an attempt to answer those two questions. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? And it's an attempt to put into practice the advice that he gives himself to put his hope into, in God. The, as the psalm begins, we don't know too much about the writer's situation. We don't know where he is. We don't know exactly what the source of his trouble is. We're not sure why he's feeling downcast. But right off the bat, we do know that he feels a long way from God. Have a look, Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go to meet with God? He uses this image of thirst and drought to convey how distant God feels at this point in his life. And it's not just that God feels distant, it's the immense sadness of the isolation that he feels. Verse number three in the NIV, they actually get the translation slightly wrong. Uh, the King James gets it right. It's not people who are saying to him, where is your God? It's his own tears that are saying to him, where is your God? So verse three should read like this. My tears have been my food day and night, and they say to me all day long, where is your God? It's a pretty pitiful image, isn't it? 
Here's this guy thirsting after God, but the only water that he has is his tears, and even his tears are mocking him and saying, where is your God? But he refuses to let the tears have the last word. The sadness of his his present situation is not all that there is. You see it there in verse number four. He remembers back to better times, times without tears. He remembers back to being among God's people. He remembers back to festivals at the temple in Jerusalem. He remembers being among God's people and singing songs of thanksgiving to God. Now he feels that God is remote, but he remembers the times when God felt a lot closer. So the writer asks himself the question, verse number five, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. But then look at the very next verse, verse six. My soul is downcast within me. I mean, logically, he knows that he shouldn't feel downcast. Logically, he knows that the way he's feeling now isn't always the way it's going to be. But at this point, logic doesn't have a whole lot to do with it. He is feeling downcast. In fact, he's feeling overwhelmed by his situation. The image changes. It's no longer a drought. We're now talking about a flood, and he feels trapped by it. Verse 7, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waters. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. And we start to find out a little bit more about why he's feeling downcast. We're kind of given a geographical clue there in verse 6. We know from the opening stanza that he feels isolated and far from God, and now we realise that geography actually has something to do with that. Here's where Hermon is, the Mount of Hermon, way up on the northern border of Israel, a long, long way from Jerusalem. He feels a long way from God, and part of the reason is that he is a long way from God, a long way from Jerusalem, a long way from the temple. See, if the temple is where God symbolically dwells with his people, then being away from the temple is only going to add to those feelings of distance. But it's mixed feelings that he has. He's feeling a long way from God, but at the same time, he knows that God's not confined to the temple in Jerusalem. Yahweh's the God of all the universe, and he knows that God is close by. That's why he's praying. He knows that God can hear him. The fact that he's putting his feelings into words, the fact that he's praying and talking to God means that he knows that he's not totally isolated from God, and he's determined to remember God, determined to remember his relationship with God but he's plagued by these mixed feelings. Remembering God is both a comfort and further fuel for his feelings of isolation. On the one hand, he can say there in verse number eight, day by day, uh, sorry, by the day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. But if that's so, then he wants to ask in verse nine, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by my enemies? 
It's not just geography that's making him feel a long way from God. He's among people who don't acknowledge his God. Before it was tears that were taunting him, now it's his enemies who are taunting him. Those people up on that northern border of Israel, taunting him about his faith in Yahweh. He's surrounded by those who are dismissive of his God. Verse 10, my bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? can be a pleasant thing, an unpleasant thing, can't it, being outnumbered? Now, I know that this doesn't even compare to what the writer of this psalm was feeling, but it was the only thing that I could think of. Uh, I lived up in Byron Bay for a number of years, and our family are all Tigers supporters, and I took my eight-year-old son up to ANZ Stadium, the old ANZ Stadium in Brisbane, to see Balmain Tigers play the Broncos. Uh, there was about 30,000 people up there, huge stadium. I did a quick count. There, I think there were 15 Tigers supporters up there that day, so significantly outnumbered by the Broncos supporters. Uh, and to make matters worse, uh, the Broncos absolutely thumped the Tigers. They were done. They were spent. And we had to walk back to the car, and Jacob was wearing his Tigers cap, and I thought it might be best if we take that off and put it into the backpack so that nobody could see that we were supporting the wrong team. But that's what the writer here is feeling. Here he is right up on the northern border of Israel and he's feeling as though God is distant. And his enemies are right there. And they're compounding the situation by taunting him and saying, so where is your God? But he's determined not to let his enemies have the last word. We see the refrain again there in verse number 11. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. By the time we reach the last stanza, we can see a tiny note of confidence coming in for the writer of the psalm. He's still feeling isolated. He's still feeling downcast. But he expresses his confidence that God can and will do something. Psalm, uh, Psalm 43, verse 3. Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. I will praise you with a lyre, O God, my God. By the time we reach that final refrain the tone has changed somewhat. If statistics are right about depression, then there'll be a reasonable number of people watching this broadcast today who suffer from depression. One of the very unhelpful ideas that was floated around in Christian circles for quite some time is that Christians shouldn't suffer from depression. People who say that really don't understand much about depression or about the Christian life. Depression, like any physical illness, is a real thing, and even Christians will suffer from it at some, in some point in their lives. But this isn't just a psalm for those who are suffering depression. There are, are important things in here for all of us to learn from about living out the Christian life. Each, for each one of us, there will be times 
when we feel isolated from God. There will be times when we will feel that God is distant and remote. There will be times when we will feel overwhelmed by our situation. And what the writer says here can help us. Let me tell you what our writer says would be good advice for us today. The first piece of advice is this. Hang on to what you do know. Keep remembering God's past goodness. One of the amazing things about this psalm is that in the midst of his despair, the writer can talk about the living God, God, his rock and his stronghold. He speaks about God that way because of his past experience, because of his ongoing relationship with God. There will be times when you and I will struggle in our faith. It may not be to the depths of depression, but we'll all have those times in our Christian lives where we will struggle. And when we face those struggles, it's really important to remember God's past goodness to us, God's faithfulness to us. And if the writer of this psalm can talk about the living God and God being his rock and his stronghold, how much more do we have to say about that, knowing what God has done for us through Jesus, through his death and resurrection? We know the full extent of God's love because we've experienced that in Jesus. Whenever we feel isolated and, and overwhelmed, we need to remember the, 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 the love that God has already shown to us. We need to remember the salvation and the forgiveness that we have through his son. And we need to remember the kindness that God shows to us in so many ways every day of the week. The second piece of advice that I think our psalm writer would want to give us might sound a little bit ironic on a pre-recorded video, but we need to continue to meet together as God's people. One of the things that helps the writer see beyond the situation that he's in is remembering when he went to the temple, but it wasn't the physical building of the temple that uplifted him, that encouraged him. He remembered meeting with God's people. He remembered singing songs of praise to God. Don't underestimate the importance of being part of a Christian community, being among believers, meeting together so that you can be encouraged and so that you can encourage others. God has called us into a relationship with himself, but he's also called us into a relationship with others as a family of believers. So it's not surprising that the writer remembers better days and when he remembers those better days, it's about being with God's people at the temple. And for the writer of the psalm, what compounded his downcast state was that he's surrounded by people who attempt to undermine his confidence in God. With lockdown potentially coming to an end very soon, we need to be committed to getting back to meeting together face to face we don't meet together out of a ritual. We don't meet together because of some religious observance. We don't meet together out of habit or obligation. We meet together because we want to be encouraged in our relationship with God. We meet together 
because we want to encourage others in their relationship with God. When we read these pass- through passages like this in the Old Testament, we see the difference between the relationship that the people of Israel had with God and the relationship that we have with God through Jesus. I mean, the big difference between us as believers today and the writer of this psalm is that God's Holy Spirit is with us always. When Jesus met with his disciples on that last night before he went to the cross, he told them that he was going away, but he told them that he would give them the Holy Spirit. This is what he says about God being with them from John chapter 14. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. They're incredible words, aren't they? If you have your trust in Jesus, then Jesus and the Father have made their home with you, in you, by the Holy Spirit. And the last thing that Jesus says to his disciples at the end of Matthew's Gospel is this, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Our closeness to God is not determined by geography or buildings or rituals. God is with us at all times and in all circumstances by his spirit. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the great confidence that we can have, not because of anything that we have done, but because of what you have done for us through your son, Jesus, and by your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the, for the absolute certainty of forgiveness that we have in Jesus, that he is the one who has paid the penalty for our sin, done what we couldn't do, given us eternal life. And we thank you for the gift of your spirit, that we know that you are with us now and to the very end of this age. Our Father, we pray that that might give us confidence to face each day, confidence to face difficulties that we might have, but confidence that we would share with others, that they might know the life that there is through your Son, Jesus, the forgiveness and the life that come through him. And it's in his name that we pray these things. Amen.